0: If we write really excellent goals, you have a great treatment plan. Your day is so easy, so the time it takes you to really think about real, valid
1: goals is worth it. Welcome to the 8th Annual Stroke Conference, Breaking Barriers. There's more to getting home than walking. In this lecture podcast, Gretchen March of Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation presents Working Smart to Achieve Functional Outcomes Using ICF Framework for Goal Writing and Treatment Planning. For more information about Ms. March, read her bio in the program notes. This conference was sponsored by Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and was a one-day event that provided participants with an understanding the multidisciplinary approach to rehabilitation that enables stroke survivors and their families and caregivers to rebuild their lives. Discussion will focus on communication, motivation, spatial neglect, sleep issues, bowel and bladder management, and community integration.
0: So what we're going to talk about now is using the ICF framework. Are people familiar with that, the International Classification of Function? Back in the early 2000s, the World Health Organization wanted to kind of stabilize the language around therapy and rehab and goals and things like that so that wherever you were in the world, we were all able to speak the same language. I don't know how far it's taken off, but it's a great idea and a lot of really good concepts. So I wanna try and improve understanding of the purposes of goal setting to engage them in their rehab patients. Support patient-centered clinical practice and team coordination. Look at improving understanding of the factors that affect development and use of goals in rehab. If we write really excellent goals, you have a great treatment plan. Your day is so easy, so the time it takes you to really think about real, valid goals is worth it. To increase clinician skills in working collaboratively with their patients to develop patient-centered goals and rehab plans, so the whole kind of concept from these previous lectures, has been really involving your patient and making it about them. And to provide clinicians the ability to write, review, and use patient-centered SMART rehab goals that support rehab practice using the SMART-R goal process. So we'll go over that. So this is a great slide because it talks about the traditional versus the enablement approach. Now enablers are bad usually, right? We say, oh, you're an enabler. That's something we don't want to be. Well, in this world we do because we want to enable our patients to be their own advocate, right? We want it to be about them and not us. So let's take a look here at the traditional model. There's a patient dependency. So the health professional takes responsibility for the treatment plan. And if you think about your own practice, and it's good to be honest when you think about it, you do your assessment, you write everything down, you sit down, if you're lucky right then, but usually at lunch or at 4 or whatever time it is that you are doing all of the notes. And then you write a treatment plan, and then you, you meet with them the next day, say, this is what we're going to do, right? The staff in a traditional approach are the doers or the fixers. So the work is being done when the patient's being treated. It's like, oh, you know, let me adjust this, or let me fix that, or let's, you know, plan to do it this way. Individual assessment and care planning is protective of discipline and practice. So, in a traditional model, there's still, even though we've evolved a whole lot since I started practicing, there's still the OTPT. Oh, I don't know why are they doing that? I should be doing that. Or the speech OT. Why are those speech people in the kitchen with my person? You know, there's a little bit of territorialness that goes on still in a traditional approach. Like, it's it's you know, you do not want to work out of your scope of practice, of course, but there are areas of overlap that we still kind of struggle with a lot of people. There's a lack of continuity that leads to duplication. So in a traditional approach, we're kind of working side by side, observing each other but still in silos. So you're focused on your plan, I'm focused on my plan, speech therapist focused on the other plan, and, and we may not realize if there's duplication if we're kind of going through the day with our head down you know, so if we're not really expanding and looking. I think a lot of us who work in healthcare are used to having weekly conferences and updates and things like that. And if you're covering for someone, you're pretty good at finding out the information, right? Because you don't know the patient, so you're looking through what have they been doing, and then you notice, oh, they're doing the same thing, right? And we all know that for reimbursement, duplication of services is really a huge red flag to just say, nope, done. And there's a little bit of lack of communication between the teams and I don't mean complete lack but I think it's not as tight in a traditional approach because we're kind of moving down those pathways side by side on our own the enablement approach is based on patient empowerment so the aim is to maximize self-care at all levels so like dr. Adler was talking about the woman who wanted to be able to eat the ice cream right everybody worked together You know, PT did not go off and say, well, I'm still gonna try to do the transfers. You know, that wasn't the main focus. You know, we worked a lot, they got more speech than PT because of those reasons. You know, so you're able to flex how you provide your services. Um, Staff are enablers. Look at that, isn't this great? You finally get to use that in a positive way. Um, The work is done once the patient's enabled. So what we were talking about a little bit before with the transtheoretical model of change, once you get that person and you're matching them at their level, they're more engaged to want to do things. So part of our treatment plan has to include enabling them to take charge of their care. Teamwork has increased use of skills and experience within teams. So if somebody's better at something than something else, you kind of negotiate, it's like, yeah, this session, I'm gonna focus on this. I'll let you know how it goes. They might need more practice in your session, right? So, but we, we don't always do that as well as we could, I think. Um, continuity of care, there's a much more seamless um, transfer of care across the services in the enablement approach. And there's improved communication between teams. So all positive things. Traditional isn't necessarily negative, it's just more restrictive. So I don't want anybody to think that if you're doing it that way that I think that's terrible. It doesn't. It's not. It's what's the norm in, in practice. Oh, no, don't do this to me today. Okay, so in summary, the enablement approach, it's an intervention in which the healthcare provider recognizes, promotes, and enhance the patient's ability to control their health and life. And that's what Arielle was just speaking about, right, with relation to exercise. It aims to achieve patient empowerment, the staff acting as enablers or facilitators to get the person up and running and on board and, and successful. It's increasing teamwork and increasing the use of clinician skills and experience, so it allows you to do a lot more mentorship with each other in a team, improved continuity of care, and improved communication. So if you look at this diagram, we have the clinician-driven treatment plan and the patient-goal-driven treatment plan. And typically, in the clinician-driven plan, the treatment plan is developed and we identify the goals. So we do the assessment, and we think, okay, they're having trouble getting out of bed, they're having trouble you know, getting on the toilet, they're having trouble eating, so I'm gonna th- these are the things we're gonna do, these are the things I'm gonna practice, these are my goals. You know, after you get that, you, you identify those goals. But with the patient or goal-driven treatment plan, it goes back to that initial assessment when you're doing your evaluation and you explore with the patient what, what are your important things to get you home. What are your goals? What do you need to do to be successful at home? And so after that, the clinician will sit back and write a treatment plan based on that. So you see the difference? Where a lot of us are probably still on the left, right? Because that's what, that's, what, that's what we've always done, <laughs> so it's one of those situations. So this m- should look very familiar to you from Arielle's presentation. Hers- she had nice blue boxes though, mine aren't blue. <laughs> but it's the same idea that the, the disorder or the disease, the ICD-10 code, is the health condition. And within that condition, there are all of these areas that can be affected. So you have the body function and structures, which are the impairment levels, things that are you know broken that need to be fixed. We have the activity, Category, which is the activity limitation. So, you know, they they can't get dressed. They can't get on the toilet. But they can't get on the toilet because they have no sensation and they have a left neglect and they have no idea where their leg is in space and they fall every time they stand up, right? And then you have the participation level. So, how is this impairment and this activity problem affecting their ability to participate in their quality of life, daily social goals? I think Ariel went over the environmental factors and the personal factors really well, so I'm not gonna go over that again. But you do have to consider those two things as well. So how the person feels about something and how well their environment can sustain, you know, and those are areas of opportunity as therapists in goal writing to look at what kind of things are their barriers. So if, they're, if they don't have a big support system, can we get them independent, right? It's okay to not always have someone, right? Just because someone's 90 and they lived alone and now they had a stroke and they're they're okay, maybe they're not 100%, but maybe they're they're doing well and and you can teach them and they're they're very reasonable. They're not the kind of person who's going to try and you know do crazy things. Can they go home again? A lot of times people say, well, they can't. They're 90. I don't know. They were living there before, right? So it's it's thinking like that. I think. So here's a good little table that we're going to spend some time thinking about, and if you we're going to talk at the panel, but if you have any questions throughout the, the talk, you can feel free to ask them as well. But if you look at these three columns, you have the impairment or body part level goal, you have an activity or a whole person type goal, and then you have the participation is the whole person in a social context goal. So the first one is is something that you might see that Katie will be able to comprehend a five-step written instruction. Has anybody written a goal like that? Yes, no, maybe not, okay. Um, when you move over to the activity level for the same person she'll be able to follow a recipe to make a cake so that's kind of like a long-term goal right because she's not going to make the cake if she can't follow the instructions right so the short-term goal is is the impairment that's a problem now depending on your discipline and depending on the problem i think this is where this team collaboration can be really really phenomenal because if i have somebody who has a lot of problems with their positioning of their their leg during gait, and they're not following through with their sequencing, they can't turn to get on the toilet. I can continue to practice the toilet transfer, but if I collaborate with the PT and they know the problem I'm having in the toilet, they can do things that I'm not trained to do to facilitate getting them to that point. So it might be that PT might be working more on the impairment thing for that goal, and OT might be working on the activity, and the long-term goal for everybody is to be able to be home independent and not need help on the toilet. Does that make sense? Another example would be Steven's hip extensor strength will increase from three out of five to four out of five. Okay now if you tell the patient hey today we're gonna work on increasing your hip flexor strength. What do you think? They're gonna be excited about that? They don't even know what you're talking about? <laughs> you think they're gonna want to stay there and do it? They'll be like oh okay great. What does that mean? So like Ariel said if there's a value attached to it if you need to work on that hip extensor strength so that you can stand up and get in your car that's important, right? So the activity level for that goal would be he'll be able to independently transfer from his wheelchair to his car. And then when you move it out to the, the ultimate goal for this patient is he'll be able to join his friends at their weekly outing at the pub, because this was from Australia, just so you know, just so you know, his mates. Um, and I don't have a good Australian accent, so I won't do that for you. Um, Another type of of goal that you could look to see is like Joan's anxiety will be decreased by three points on a certain scale. Again, that's sort of a weird way to measure it, right? Because do we think about scales that we use? I mean, but we do write these goals because I I review a lot of charts. I'm telling you, everywhere I go, these goals are out there. Um, Joanne will be able to, in the company of unfamiliar people, for greater than 45 minutes without experiencing a panic attack. So, you know, That's her activity level goal. She has to be able to be around people to be in a meeting at work or something. She'll attend her daughter's ballet recital. So now there's gonna be 200 people there. She's gotta be able to sit there and not have the problem. Um, Let's see, David's deep neck flexor strength will improve from grade two to four. See, now I'm a person, you told me that, I'd be like, "What? what are you talking about, right? But the activity, if you attach the activity component to that, he'll be able to work at a computer for four hours without experiencing pain greater than three out of 10. But then you're gonna have to teach him how to monitor his pain scale, right? But that's all valuable stuff. So you see how when these goals are really specific like this, you're able to create a really robust treatment plan. And the, the participation level goal is he'll return to work four hours a day, three days a week, because that's, that's what he wants to do, right? He doesn't wanna lose his job. So again, you wanna look at the influences of the activity and participation level activities, right? There are social and cultural things. So, you know, your whole identity of who you are, if you can't go back to work, what am I gonna do? Um, the need to fulfill your social roles. So before you were the primary person bringing all the, the money in. What's that do to a person if they can't do that after a stroke? The need to meet personal and environmental demands. And that's at, at, more at the activity level, right? And being able to just have access to things, like Arielle was speaking about with the fitness centers, uh, and the need to accommodate personal preferences. So the relationship between goal setting and participation activity and impairment level goals goes something like this. The patient goal is usually the particip- participation level goal. When you do the interview correctly, what do you need to be able to do? What is it that's most important to you following the stroke that you're, you feel the loss of that you want back? However you say it to appeal to them to get that level. But don't just let them say, I want to walk, right? Because you can probe a little more, well, how much walking did you do before? Oh, I used to walk three miles in the park every day. That's a different person than the person, well, I used to just walk into my kitchen and back and forth. Doesn't mean you're not going to work on it, but just saying I want to walk is very basic because they're only thinking about what they can't do right now. My impairment is I can't walk so my goal is I want to walk but what do you want to walk for well I need to walk because I do all the supermarket shopping myself and I'm the one who has to go and the the store is very big and this is this is what I need to do so when you get that participation level goal then the next phase is the patient steps and those vary between participation and activity their impairment goals and the assessment results from your evaluation But the action plan, the intervention and assessment regarding the impairments and other actions to achieve a step become the action plan. So you're starting from the top, working your way down to the specific. (coughs) Again, the patient goal is participation generated, and it's more likely to come from the patient themselves. The patient is focusing on what activities they need to do. But the action plan is more likely to be generated by the clinician because you have the expertise to help them organize the activity, assess the activity, and figure out why it's breaking down, right? Again, if they don't know there's a problem and the awareness component isn't there, writing a good goal that's really clear to them is going to help you not only make them more aware but probably make them more successful. How many people have heard of SMART goals? Yeah, right? So our current electronic documentation systems, and different people have different ones. So some people have free text. How many people can have a free text option in their goal writing? How many people have absolutely no choice and it's all click off? Somewhere in between, you have access to writing them, but you don't use it. You just click off. And that's okay. So this, is, this is not judgmental. It's like a no-judgment zone, like Planet Fitness. It's all—it's all good. <laughs> it's all good, because the whole point of these conferences and things is to get together and share information that may be helpful. And when you when you hear it and you think about it, you're like, you know what? I do do that. I don't want to admit it, but I do do that. I, you know, you catch yourself, so your awareness goes up. The same way you train your patients for awareness, you start to think differently, and you'll you'll find some amazing things can happen so the smart stands for specific so your goals have to be specific they have to be measurable they have to be achievable relevant and time-bound so if you include each one of those things in every goal you write it'll be very clear to you what you need to do with your patient the patient will be very clear why they're doing it and it does take a little bit of extra time than clicking off a goal so typical goal for a person in rehab they had a stroke right they come in you do the assessment they can do I don't know 50% of the transfer you know they need you to help them 50% of the time so what level are they mod right or that modest this level right so you're going to write a goal, you do your assessment, and why can't they, what is the reason that they're modest cysts? Where are they having the problem? So let's just pretend that they can stand up pretty well, but when they take the steps to turn, they only turn to the right and they don't really seem to follow with their left foot. So they potentially could have a neglect and they have a decreased awareness of where they are in space, right? So they're great in a straight line, they look, they look fabulous. You think oh no problem you go to get them to turn they do this the walkers here they're going all the way to the right they're doing the 360 instead of the, the 45 you know so you know there's something going on so when you have that person typical goal you might what would their long-term goal be what would you want their long term goal to be now currently if you had that person you'd write a goal all right nobody wants to say so I'll say you'd say something like you know a patient will be Modified independent with his transfers by discharge. Right? Something like that? Familiar? Okay. So you have that in there. And the short term goal would probably say something like, you know, maybe we would address the turning, but a lot of times people don't. They'll just write, you know, patient will be, you know, close to provision in one week. Right? So when you think about it, does that really measure anything? No, right? It's reporting a status. Now, we need to give that status and we need to show change for insurance companies for sure. So I'm not saying you don't wanna include a level or some way of of identifying how you're measuring it, but I think that we fall into the trap of letting them say that's what they want because I think if we did it the other way, they still wouldn't deny us because it's so clear. So I think, you know, you you be the judge. (laughs) So let's look at some elements here and some examples of measurable goals. Cognition, how many people write separate cognitive goals? That's what I thought, very few. How do you address cognition in your goals, or do you? Right. So say you've got that high level person Dr. Adler was talking about, and he's kind of impulsive and his judgment isn't very good. He's, he's a little unsteady on his feet, but he thinks he can you know, climb on the step stool to get the, the light bulb in the, right? but he can't even really you know, walk a straight line yet. So when you have that problem and you're working on awareness, there's some place that we need to insert that. Otherwise they become the person who, oh, they can walk 150 feet, they're fine. But they're not fine. They can't walk their way through the hospital without running into something or they can't find their way in the hospital because they lose track and get distracted and they just go into any room that they see. So that's not a successful discharge, right? But on the insurance level, oh, they went from you know mod assist to well now they're mod I walking with their walker 150 feet, you know, and I'm like okay, you know, so so we can change some of that by including things. So let's look at how much. So Jill will return to work 20 hours per week over four days by the end of March 2013. That's pretty clear, right? And you're telling the insurance company when you think it's going to happen. Well, no, it's passed, but she, she's back to work by now. Um, Jack will host a dinner party, including cooking a two course meal for himself and three friends at his home within 12 weeks. Now, we know we don't have 12 weeks, so we have 18 to 20 days. So, of course, you're going to scale it to the, the point that you can. But if somebody used to make their own breakfast, you know, they'll be able to make their breakfast, including cleaning up after cooking eggs, whatever. You can define what they usually eat, right, for two people and be able to follow the instructions and adequately um, gather all the items needed without any supervision. You know? And then they do it and they need supervision and you haven't met the goal yet at the weekly, but the goal is still there and you know what you're doing every couple of days, you're gonna test it out again, right? John's satisfaction with his ability as a father will increase from self-reported score of two out of 10 to eight out of 10. So there's some cycles in here. Now, the next one is how often. Karen will perform the family grocery shop every week. So if she doesn't do it, she doesn't do it, right? Karen will increase her work days from two to three days a week. Jack will make his bed every day. Jill will make contact with a friend twice a week via phone or face-to-face. So it's different than just saying what level they're going to be at. If they're at if they've had a stroke and they're impaired and they need to use an assistive device, for example, you can say that you know, she'll go out to lunch with her friend once a week using transportation available and read the, the bus schedule accurately, you know, without assistance. or with, minimal prompts to find the correct time. Or, so if you know how you're gonna do it, instead of just using things like cues, because with cognition, we always say cueing, right? Because we, we don't really know how to define it sometimes. So you have to think about it. Verbal cueing is really dependent on us. So if we're not really good at it, and we jump in too soon, we're over cueing them. And then they're getting penalized for needing cues that maybe they did or didn't need. So queuing by itself isn't a great way to measure things. How well? Linda will complete her morning hygiene routine within one hour, or she'll be able to follow a five-step written instruction. So if she's trying to get back to work and she has to schedule people at a doctor's office, she has to be able to multiply look at different steps, right? Oh, where am I in this step? Oh, the phone rang. How do I get back? Things like that. Um, And she has to be able to get herself ready within a certain amount of time. So think about your own morning routine. You woke up this morning. How long does it typically take you to get ready? You're working people, right? Some people, I would say an hour or less for most people. Um, I'd say most people are within the half hour or less. (laughs) And some people are down to like the 15 minutes. But don't, you know, if you're extremely efficient, don't think that that's the norm. But I would say, you know, that's reasonable. If it takes someone two or three hours to get dressed, like I had some people, you know, some stroke patients, where they were retired and they were fiercely independent, they wanted to do it, and it didn't matter that it took them two hours to get it together. They would re- take a rest break in between, you know, they'd do part of it, then they'd put their robe on, go down and have breakfast, then they'd go back and do their dressing. But they have time to do that. So it has to be realistic for the person as well. So there is no, there is no right way or right amount of time to get dressed, but it has to fit in the context. of of the person's life. And lastly, what level of independence or assistance? Peter will cook the evening meal with assistance only to cut the vegetables. So if he can do that, he's met that goal. Maybe next you want to write some kind of goal where he can do cutting activities right? when he meets that goal. Jack will walk home from the bus stop with a walking stick. Walking stick, it's a cane here, but in, in Australia it's a walking stick. And standby assistance. So we all kind of are good at that bottom one. But if we add some of those other elements, I think you'll have a much more robust plan. HAR, the AAR that they've added in Australia, did some research. They have an action plan, an achievement rating, and reporting results. So specific is what the patient wants to achieve, specifically, <laughs> not generically. Measurable, is it easy to determine when the goal has been achieved? And what is the desired standard or quality for achievement so how do you know when you met the goal so in our old scenario if you want them to be mod i for all their transfers and at their weekly goal their short-term goal is that they're mod assist and at their weekly team they fluctuate between mod assist and close supervision it's not super measurable right like why are they having the fluctuation would be nice to know and how do you measure when that thing goes away? Is it the turning piece? Is it the piece where they can't um, pay attention on their left side? You know, so what is that component that will make it even more measurable? Achievable, is the goal realistic for the patient at this time, and is the goal achievable given current resources? So we've all had the person, who's probably in that pre-contemplation phase, who's a stroke patient, says, well, I'm gonna be fine, because when I leave here, I can drive. Now you know they can't drive, because they, have a, this person has a neglect, so that would be bad. And they're having difficulty organizing themselves in a small clinical environment. So it's probably not going to happen right away, right? So just because someone says a goal doesn't mean you have to go with the goal. That's not the message here. We also have to counsel them and work on the awareness of is the goal appropriate, right? And is it achievable? I would say to that person, i say, you know, I think that's a really good long-term goal. And I think we should keep that window open. But right now, let's think about the last three days when every time we walked to the kitchen, you ran into four things. If you're running into things when you're walking, what's going to happen when you're in a vehicle? You could hit people, you could hit yourself, you could, you know. So helping them kind of keep that moving. Is it relevant? Have they stated they want to achieve the goal? And is the goal relevant for the services requested? So if somebody wants to eat and they're coming to PT and they're saying, all I want to do is eat, I'm not going to do it. The great one in OT happens all the time, just want to walk. I'm like, well, that's not my thing. So what do we want to walk for? You know, And I, as an OT, don't walk people till their contact guard are better because if they need gait training, they need PT to walk, right? So it's, it has to be relevant for the, the service request and you have to say, well, let's think about what we talked about yesterday when we set up that list and that treatment plan together. You also wanted to be able to, you know, play with your grandchildren on the floor like Ariel said. So let's look at the transition from sitting on the floor to getting up and then you can practice your walking in PT. How long do you think it'll take for the patient to achieve the goal? This is kind of tricky because we don't always know, but once you start to see them in that first week, you can get a sense of how well they're, they're adapting to the goals. Like are they, are they making movement toward it? Is there absolutely no movement? Then you might want to reassess, is the goal too high? Because that happens sometimes. How many times have you picked up a person that someone else did the eval, you pick them up and you're like, oh, how did they think this was going to happen? And Sometimes it happens because maybe you're, maybe you're a neurospecialist and you're working in an ortho gym or a cardiac gym and you're not <coughs> sure what that goal is, so you do the best you can. So you can always revise your goals is the message. Um, the action plan, what does the team need to do to achieve the goal? So this is where that team communication comes in. You're working together. I'm gonna focus on this, you focus on that. The achievement rating is using a scale to describe the degree to which the patient has achieved a goal. So I think we have the CARE scores now, the GG scores in rehab. FIM is, FIM is no more,
1: Lauren, FIM?
0: Bye no bye, FIM. Bye-bye, FIM, everyone. Anyone who did the FIM, bye, happy. Um, and reporting goal outcomes. Who needs to know about the progress the patient made today? So the patient needs to know, right? In those care partner meetings, when we meet with the families regularly through their stay and rehab, the, the families and caregivers need to know, and our insurance companies need to know, right? Don't worry about that, it's the same thing. <laughs> so in summary, patient-centered participation goals are the best. So when you're thinking long-term, think about what that patient wants to do in their life. Not, you know, if you think about our long-term goals, that they'll be independent with transfers to all surfaces, and we think, okay, is that really exciting about in life? Like, okay, I can get on the toilet, yay. (laughs) You know, it's a very limiting kind of way of thinking. Um, Use the ICF conceptual model as a guide. If you write your goals in a smart format, you'll find that you have really clear ways to measure. So, how many times have you wanted to upgrade someone? You want them to be able to use the toilet in their room because toileting is one of the biggest, single biggest reasons people don't get home: incontinence and in toileting, right? So, if we take that as a goal, what what can we do to help them, right? We can. What's going to be measurable in that? So it's gonna be, they're gonna be able to find their way, not have collisions, they're gonna be able to turn the most safe and effective way. So instead of turning this whole big way to the right, we're gonna teach them you know, to put their hand a certain place and maybe make that safer. Um, and just remember that that action plan achievement rating and reporting is helpful. For anyone who's familiar with the Canadian Occupational Performance Measure people out there, um, that's a nice kind of way to, to get that achievement rating, right? So you ask someone, what's important to you? How well are you performing this task right now? And they'll say, I, you know, I'm doing it about 50%. And then you say, how satisfied are you with that? Say, it's terrible, right? But then you'll get the person who, you know, it's important to them to, to brush their or to brush their hair, but for the last five years, they've had shoulder problems and someone's been helping them. So their performance is very poor, but they're very satisfied with the fact that their life is okay. So you can use those kind of tools to help you tease out which things are most important to people. Woo, right on time.
1: Woo! For more information about Kessler Foundation, go to KesslerFoundation.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.